0: Well, I want to, this morning, uh, speak to you about what we are experiencing, uh, have have been experiencing, uh, since I I preached four weeks ago uh, concerning the uh, tragic uh, circumstances and the assault against uh, Israel. I know it's kind of like the elephant in the room. It's all over the news. It's in the newspapers. It's everywhere, and and it's causing people to to begin to ask questions. It's causing people to begin to wonder what what's going on. Why is this happening? What is taking place? And uh, oddly enough, I've been going to the la- uh, the New Testament over for the past two or three months, and as I was, I wanted to read through the New through the Old Testament because I wanted a refreshing about, about God's, God's interaction with his people and what he expected from his people and the, how he came against the evil that, that uh, um, his people became a part of, how they surrendered much of their traditions that God gave them over to their carnal nature. And the consequences of that—it's—it's it's slow reading, but yet uh, I've been doing that. The first thing I get up in the morning, I read, and what I've what I've drawn from those uh, books—I'm at uh, uh, Second King. No, I'm at Second Kings right now, and what I've gotten from that so far is that God loves His people. God loves the people that He uh, has promised to to guide and to lead through his word and by his word. And that he opposes those who oppose his people vehemently. He comes against those who try to destroy his people. And so uh, I've been reading through that and kind of uh, correlating that to what we're, we're taking a look at and what we're seeing happening in the streets of our country today and throughout the world we see people protesting uh, and, and supporting terrorist groups, uh, uh, murderers, and, and you kind of wonder, and you hear constantly, why are they doing this? What What's taking place? Why, you know, what's, what's going on? And, and we're even seeing the same rhetoric uh, taking place in the halls of Congress, where people are supporting uh, the, the the terrorist actions uh, of, of of Hamas and those behind them. And people ask questions, and, and they're wondering what's going on. University students, uh, as we're seeing on campuses and in the streets, uh, citing also. With, with terrorists and murderers. And you, you kind of wonder what's being taught uh, in those classrooms. And what is the spirit behind it's, uh, all that's going on? And I thought about it, and I'm thinking, I'm going, okay, well, yes, we, a lot of times we don't neglect the Old Testament, but we, we focus, in, and I think Pastor Jose mentioned this uh, also on Wednesday when he spoke, a lot of times we just focus on the New Testament, which is great, But what I'm seeing today is is that the Old Testament is is just as relevant in this day and age that we're living in as the New Testament is. The only difference is that, you know, we're wearing coats and and shoes and, you know, different kinds of clothes and driving cars. We're in the Old Testament, you know, they were dressed differently, riding camels and donkeys and doing what they did. But the Spirit is still the same of God operating on earth. That has not changed. And I think a lot of times we get stuck saying, ah, the Old Testament, you know, it's for, you know, now it's, it's, yeah, okay, but it's not really something I want to look into. But what we're seeing playing out these last four weeks is Old Testament stuff. And I want to talk about that for a few moments this morning, because people are wondering and asking questions. Case in point, my daughter the other day was, was walking her dog, and just walking on, 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 in the neighborhood, and some people came up to her, I guess they run into each other once in a while, and they just, you know, boldly just asked, hey, so what do you think about what's going on in Israel? And you know, just, they wanted to know what was happening, and, and just wanted to get some opinions. And I think it's important for you and I as the people of God, to be able to answer some questions. To be able to understand what is actually taking place and what is the motivation behind that. And we turn to God's Word for that wisdom and understanding. Which side is, is, is the right side? Is it, is it the Arab states or is it, is it the Jews? Is it Israel? God's Word reveals that the roots of today's conflict that we're seeing and the people's protesting that we're watching go back hundreds and thousands of years to a family dispute. Many family disputes over 3,500 years ago. And those disputes, really, when you look at them through the Word of God, are a battle between good and evil. Good and evil. A lot of folks... Say, well, you know, I, just tell me about Jesus and Jesus' love. You know, talk to me about the blessings of God and how God wants to provide for me and how he wants to meet my needs. But you see, what we need to understand, yes, those, those areas are valid and good, and we need that. But what we need to know is what in the world and why what's happening today is taking place so that we can start to understand that we're living in the last days, that what we're seeing today is being played out through God's Word, a battle between good and evil, and we need to recognize that as such. So I'm going to take my time, different kind of sermon, but I'm going to relate it to us as a family. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, and I entitled this message, A Family Dispute, Good Versus Evil. Our text reads in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 out of the message version Doom to you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness in place of light and light in place of darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and uh, sweet for bitter. Isn't that what we're seeing taking place? in the world around us today. People calling good evil and evil good, even in the halls of Congress. The Apostle Paul describes it almost the same way in Second Timothy chapter 3 when he describes the, the character of the last day and how the, the people's attitudes are going to be. And he says, They will be cruel and hate what is good. And this is exactly what's taken place. So what I want to do is accomplish two things this morning through this message. And they are both linked and tied together. First, number one, I want to look at the facts according to God's Word regarding the spirit and motivation behind all that's taken place has been taking place these past four weeks. And the roots of the hatred towards the Jewish people and its impact on a tiny piece of land called the Gaza Strip. Why is that happening? What's the spirit behind that? Secondly, men. I want to look at the importance of our roles as husbands when it comes to listening to and waiting on God's perfect plan for our lives, for our families, and their destinies, because these are two interlinked issues that I want to talk about with you this morning. So you're going to need your Bible. How many have your Bible? Amen. Yeah, we all have a Bible somewhere, somehow, in some form. So I want you to take notes. We're just going to have scripture references on, on the screen. We're not going to go through and write down the scriptures. So you take notes and you study this. After this service is over, you take notes and you take a look and inform yourself. Number one, I want to look at Abraham, the father of the Jew and the Arab people, father of the Jews and the Arabs. According to God's Word, at least six different families of Arab people are cousins of the Jews. They are the Ishmaelites, Midianites, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, and Amalekites. We read about them in the Old Testament. They're the cousins of the Jewish people. And here's where the family dispute begins to take place that we're seeing played out in the world today. What is the meaning and the root of the word Palestine or the name Palestine? The Old Testament definition is Palestina. It means land of strangers. It appears in the, the King James Version. And the inhabitants of Palestina are called Philistines. They were trespassers on the land that God gave to Abraham. The Hebrews identified Philist, uh, Philistia as a long and broad Strip of Marine Plain, the Gaza Strip. It's identified in the Old Testament. And we know the Philistines. We've read about the Philistines, the enemy of the Jews and God's people in Israel. We know about Goliath. These are the Palestinian, the Philistines. And so what well, we need to understand, because of the dispute that's taking place, and who, whose land does it belong to, and who are the rightful owners of the land, we have to ask the question then, how does God refer to that land that God, he promised to Abraham? What does it refer to? How is it referred as? The Bible never refers to the land, the promised land that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Palestine. Never ever in the Word of God do you hear that word referred to as the promised land. The Bible calls it the land of Israel. The reference points you read are in Ezekiel chapter 21 and in Matthew chapter 2. It's where the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob refers to it as the land of Israel, never Palestine. And it's important for us to understand that, so when we see all these things and hear all these things taking place, these people don't even know what they're talking about simply because they don't want to look to the Word of God. And we're we're going to, to, to be doing that and giving references as to how this thing began to, this dispute began to materialize. The majority of modern Palestinians are the offspring of the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, and we know the story of uh, excuse me Esau and Jacob. We 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 know how that st- what those that situation was all about. So let's take a look at the Promised Land. Let's see what the Promised Land and what that came about in Genesis chapter thirteen. And in verses 7 through 18, and again, I'm not going to read these scriptures, I'm giving you the reference, so that you can go home and do your own study, so we can be informed. How many like to learn? Isn't that what a disciple is? Are you disciples of Christ? Disciples of Christ are learners, and God wants us to learn the truth about who He is, and the promises that you and I were grafted into when it comes to his word. God calls Abraham in the book of Genesis chapter 13 and his family to leave Egypt and to move to a place uh, that he would show him. That place would be later on known as Canaan. Soon after we know the, the story when Lot and Abraham got to this place, there was a dispute. They started to argue. Abraham's herdsmen with Lot's herds, herdsmen and Lot's son Edom and Ammon. By the way, Ammon is now, we can refer to that in um, Jordan, is the capital, Ammon. So they took uh, Lot's son's name and named their capital after it. So you kind of get a picture of. Of, of the spirit behind what's taking place today and what's going on. So we know the story. Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan, and Abraham stayed in the, that land that God said he would give him, the promised land. In Genesis chapter 15 and in verse 18, God speaks to, to, to Abraham and says to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so we see the separation. We see the the, the, the line that's been drawn between Lot, Edomites, and Abraham, God's chosen people to inherit the promised land. And to this day. The descendants of Lot, Moab, Ammon, still live on the east bank of the Jordan River in what's called the state of Jordan. So we understand and we can see that the bitter resentment and the hatred that still exists today against Israel stems from Lot's and Ishmael's, which we're going to look at in a minute, descendants. Why? Because God made a covenant and a promise with Abraham, not Lot or Ishmael. He gave Abraham his, in, his promise of blessing and inheritance, not Lot or Ishmael. And so because of that, you, you, we see this, what's being played out. We see what's taking place today. So let's take a look now at Ishmael and Esau. God's Word describes the character of Ishmael and what he's going to be like when he's going to be born from Hagar. In Genesis chapter 16 and verse 11, and I will read these this scripture, You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And we see that being played out today within the Arab nations, fighting and hating one another as well as even obviously hating Israel. Ishmael's resentment and hatred for Israel has been passed down from generation to generation to his descendants because Isaac received Abraham's blessing instead of him. The firstborn, according to Old Testament custom, was always to receive the blessing and inheritance uh, of the father. But in this case, it was given to Isaac because, we know the story, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. And we understand that he, uh, even though made that decision and choice to this day, that is running through his descendants, that hatred, that bitterness, and that anger. The Bible says that Esau plotted to kill Jacob in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him, and he said, I will kill my brother Jacob. You see, we see the animosity that's taken place. As Christians, we need to understand that God wants his people to prosper and to be blessed and as I preached on four weeks ago why we should pray for Israel because God says uh, I will bless those who bless you and curse you who curses you and we understand that God will come against those who come against his people and we need to take that stand especially now It's the Old Testament now in the 21st century. I get it. Jesus came. He is our Redeemer. It was through the blood of Christ uh, that we have been saved and and cleansed from our sins uh, and that he is the Messiah. We believe that and we know that. But people, we cannot exclude uh, the Old Testament because when you read the Old Testament, what you see today, it's being played out. In the twenty first century, that hatred, that division, that, that jealousy, it's it's this is what it is all about. And God will deal with that. We read about that in Psalm 83, and the first eight verses, it gives us a picture of those cousins that I talked to you about at the beginning of this message. And their 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 jealousy and their hatred toward Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants. Listen to what it says. Psalm eighty-three, verse one. O God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet. O God, be not still. See how your enemies are astir, how your foes rear their heads, with cunning They conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say. Let us destroy them as a nation. Isn't that what they want to do? Wipe Israel out of the face of the earth so they will be no more? That's what they're chanting and what they want. And this is what the psalmist is saying they want to do. That the name of Israel be remembered no more. With one mind... They plot together, they form an alliance against you, the tents of Edom, Esau, and Ishmaelites of Moab, and the Hagarites, Gabal, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia or Palestine, with the people of Tyr. Even, now get this, Assyria has joined them to lend strength to the descendants. Of Lot. So, what you see are these cousins, the, the Arab nations, uh, plotting in the Old Testament here to destroy the people of Israel. And we're seeing that very thing happening today. And it said, even Assyria will join to strengthen the descendants of Lot. So, who's modern day Assyria? Who are they? Well, here's who they are they are Iraq. They are Syria, they are Turkey, they are Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Lebanon. Think about that. Turkey, supposed to be one of our allies. Isn't that right? We have bases there in Turkey. But now you're seeing Turkey starting to align against the people of Israel. I'm telling you, folks... Things are coming into place that we need to be aware of and that we can prepare our hearts and stand fast and begin to get our lives right with God. People take this lightly. They look at it and say, "Ah, well, that's for, you know, the scholars or that's for those people who are interested in it. Let me tell you something. We all better be interested in it. We all better be interested in it because it's going to impact and affect every single one of us. So now, let me start to wind this down. Now that we've got the little history of of why it's taken place and why so many people hate the Jews, I mean, people chanting death to Israel and, and it's almost like Nazism all over again rising its ugly head. The same spirit that was was motivating them is the same spirit uh, that is motivating these folks today. The very same spirit. When you look at history, and and the Iranian Revolutionary Army have patterned themselves uh, much after the, the Nazi movement and regiment building, it's the same spirit. So now that we've got that behind us, let's look and see what part Abraham and Sarah and their decisions had a part to play in the discord amongst the family, the cousins. How many know every family has cousins? Yeah. And we look at our family and go, oh, yeah, but they're on my dad's side. <laughs> or they're on my mother's side, right? And, and it's like every, every side of the family has its, its good, its good and, some, and we always want to join ourselves to the good side, not the bad side. But we've got to look at this in a in big picture, and we understand, and we're starting to see, and this is where I want us as, as, as husbands, and if you're not married here, you're not a husband you as a man, or even the leader of your home, if, even if, if that tends to be the case as a woman today, because there are so many single-parent families today. I want you to see how decisions can start the ball rolling and create chaos. Let's look at the promised son. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is speaking to God because God had promised him a son that he would bless him and his his inheritance, but he's saying, "God, I don't have a son. I I'm, I'm waiting." He's crying out for a son to leave his inheritance to, and God promises and made that promise that He would give him a son. Time goes by, and still no child, no son to leave, to inherit the promises and blessings of God. So what begins to happen is Sarah begins to formulate some plans because they got tired of waiting on God. And so what they start doing is she starts looking at plan B. How many know it's always a bad idea to try to accomplish God's plan your own way, plan B? After God has promised you he will provide Plan A. It's a bad idea. How many have ever been in that spot where God's taking a while? Well, God, I'm not sure. You know, I'm I'm waiting. It's like the song we sang. You know, I am I'm, I'm waiting, God. You know, I'm gonna I'll be waiting on you, and I'll trust you. In the valley, and on the mountain tops, and here Abraham and Sarah are tired of waiting. And Sarah starts to develop a plan B. Plan B always ends up to be the losing plan. How many can say amen? Why? Because God's plans come complete. They are completely furnished by His methods and His timing And they lack nothing. That's plan A. That's God's plan for Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to give you a child. And they started to tinker with the will of God and try to help out God in his plan. And it messes everything up. How many know that sometimes as parents, as Christians... God doesn't always give us all the information we think we need to follow him. God doesn't always lay out in detail every aspect of where he wants us to go, what he wants us to do, and why he wants us to do it, to follow him. There are some times that he'll only tell us what he's going to do and not how or when he's going to do it. This is what I want to do for your life. We've all been there. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And we start asking, but how's it going to happen? And when's it going to happen, God? We've all been there, and we've all done that. And here's where Abraham and Sarah are. Let's look at Sarah's plan B, to try to help God out to provide a family for them. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 2 So he said to Abram, or she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go. Sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed what Sarah said. Typical man. (laughs) Typical man. What? Okay, that sounds like a plan. See, they were in their 90s, right? In their 90s, and Sarah's, uh, Sarah's handmaiden Hagar she's 21, <laughs> and looking good. You read about that. she, she was pleasant to the eyes. Plan B. Seems to be the perfect solution to help God out. And what does Abraham do? Okay, I'll listen to my wife this time. Guys, how many know we listen to our wives when it usually benefits us? Okay, go ahead and, 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 and buy that toy, that's okay. Go ahead and, and, and go hunting with your friends, that's okay. Go ahead and go fishing, that's cool. But when she says, no, I don't think that's a good idea, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and here's Abraham, and he's agreeing with Sarah. We saw the same thing happen in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Listen to Eve. God had his plan, plan A, but they didn't listen and wait on the Lord. Instead, Eve goes along with the devil's plan B, and we all know how that ends up. What's my point? Here's my point. Ladies, you need to allow your husband to be the spiritual head of your household. Wow, it sounds like some of you have been hearing that for the very first time. It sounds like that's something like a a revelation, man. Let me repeat that again for you. Ladies, you need to allow your husband to be the spiritual head of your household. Allow him to make the spiritual, spiritual decisions. I'm not talking about the carnal decisions. I'm talking about the spiritual decisions. Why do I say that? Ephesians chapter 5, we understand. Paul wrote to this church because they were having issues. And in verse 22 and 24, he writes, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me stop there. And I understand in, in, in this generation, and in, in this 21st century, it's not cool to say, ladies, you, you, know, you need to listen to your old man. You know, listen to the man, because you know, it, 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 it insinuates that you don't have any smarts or, or that you're not good enough to make spiritual decisions, which is not the case at all. The devil's a liar. Amen. But what God's trying to do is he's trying to give us a understanding concerning how blessing flows into the family as it blow, flows into the church through headship. Because authority is always the issue when it comes to the blessing of God. How many can say amen this morning? And God has His plan for authority, spiritual authority. And I'm bringing this into play because here we see Abraham and Sarah violating that very, very plan. Plan A. God's will. God's plan. And they settle for plan B. So, Paul says, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in some things. Wow, you believed that, didn't you? None of you corrected me. Oh, my goodness. We need more Bible study going on in this place. It didn't say to subject, let the wives be to their own husbands, submitted in some, some things. It's everything. In everything. And Paul lays the groundwork for marriage, a successful marriage to be built upon in order for God's plan to succeed for their marriage. Paul didn't stop with the wife, and now he talks to the husband. And that's why I want to get your attention, husband. Because Abraham, as a husband, failed his position. Ephesians 5:25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her To himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, what Paul is saying, in other words, is that if you love your wife, how many men love your wives? If you love your wife, then you'll do everything possible to ensure you've covered her with the Word of God. You'll do everything possible to make sure that you're leading her according to the Word of God and you're listening to the Word of God. The same way Christ covers us, the same way God loves us, you love your wife and you teach her and you instruct her in the Word of God. Step up to the plate and let your wife be confident that you're hearing from God and that you're doing your job as a man, that you're doing your job as a husband. That's your responsibility, my responsibility. We are to be the spiritual leaders in our home. And our wives and our children are to follow that leadership. Be in your word every day. Pray every day. Seek God every day. As Abraham was doing. He was doing that. He was crying out to God. He was seeking God. But he got tired, he got frustrated, and he stopped. And he listened to Sarah and started to doubt God's word and God's promise. And today we see the results of that. You see, husband, your wife wants you to lead because you were created to lead by God. If you forsake your responsibility in leading, disaster will result. And I'm not saying your wife can't have input into your marriage, into your family, into, into you as a man in your, your relationship with God. My wife has a lot of input into my life, and she is a, a woman of God, and I listen to her, and, and I love her so much. But she understands that when it comes to specific issues dealing with our family and our marriage and our destiny, especially as pastors, uh, she lets me take care of that. Because she understands the order of God's blessing. So, with Abraham and Sarah... Everything seems to be working out okay. Hagar is pregnant, and she's going to have a baby. But then, everything didn't go according to plan. (laughs) How many have ever been there? Try to do your own thing, you have your plan B, and you thought, yeah, this is it. This is going to work out. I'm doing it. And things start going wrong. Just like all sin, there are going to be unexpected negative consequences. In Genesis chapter 16, and verse 4, it says, Yep, he slept with Hagar. She conceived. But when she, Hagar, knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarah. She looked at Sarah. Ah, you're not, you, you can't even have a baby. Look at me. I'm having your husband's baby. You see, Sarah's plan worked out, but not the way she thought it was going to work out. Not the way she imagined it. Isn't that the way sin is? Isn't that the way sin is? It makes great promises. Sin always makes fantastic promises, but it never tells you about the payback. Never tells you about the consequences or the drawbacks. Sin's like those medications you hear advertised on on commercials on TV. It spends, you know... 30-second commercial, two seconds telling you about the product, and 28 seconds telling you about all the bad things that are going to happen when you take it. You're going to die. Your ear's going to fall off. Hair's going to grow out of your hair, your ears, and all kinds of things are going to happen. But they never tell you fully about the good part about it. See, the only difference between commercials and sin is that sin never tells you the consequences until it's too late. Then you find out you got ripped off. Abraham surrendered his leadership to his wife, and today you and I are seeing the outcome of that. Not only that, bad decisions, bad choices create marriage problems. How many can say amen to that? Husbands and wives here to you. Well, you know what I'm talking about. It happened to Abraham and Sarah. Verse 5, Then Sarah said to Abraham, You're responsible for all the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms. Now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. May God judge you, Abraham. Abraham because you're a big dummy by letting let, doing what I told you to do. <laughs> typical, typical, typical. She was right, too. He was a big dummy for listening to what she said to do. Abraham should have known better. He's the one who was always talking to God. He's the one who was always close to God. You see, God holds us men responsible for our decisions and how they will impact our families and their destinies. For Abraham, Ishmael, his descendants, will become his thorn in the flesh. We see it played out today, the bitter hatred and dispute that's taken place. Let me close down as our Worship team makes their way up this morning. We need to understand that God doesn't turn a blind eye to those who come against His people. For you and I as Christians, as we serve Him, as we trust in God to provide for our lives, God will always be there. If God be for us, then who will be against us? That's the promise of God. That's the promise of God to Him, for Him and His people. And God will always fight on the side of his people, according to his word. Listen to Obadiah. Write it down. Obadiah, chapter 1, the first eight verses. I will read those eight verses for you. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Teman, Will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter because of the violence against your brother Jacob. You will be covered with shame, you will be destroyed forever. How does this? whole thing that we're watching on tv and reading about play out the bible tells us how it's going to be played out god will be on the side of his people god will be on the side of his people and he will make sure that his people come out successful and in victory and that's good news for you and i this morning That's excellent news for you and I as the people of God this morning. And so this morning, when we see what's taking place, sure, we grow anxious, and are we going to get involved in it? And da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, the United States was the first to recognize Israel as a state back in 1948, the very first. And so we are already involved, whether we like it or not how far it's going to go that's up to God and those making decisions but for you and I we need to not be afraid not worry because when we are standing with God we are on the right side when we are standing for God he stands for us husbands Let's not follow Abraham's example. But let's be the spiritual leaders in our homes. Spiritual leaders that God can trust and lead us and our families into his will and destiny during these last days that we're living in. Above all, let's continue to pray for Israel as they battle for their right to exist on the face of this earth as God promised them. As we bow our heads for a few moments,